Welcome to this GemTrain.org presentation, where you will be able to enjoy some wonderful free content that we sincerely hope will help you overcome the challenges of autism. Some content from this presentation is not included here, but the entire presentation is available on our website, GemTrain.org. I am Robin Anderson, and I started working in the field of autism in 1995. I was attending classes at the U, um, the University of Utah in Salt Lake City, and they advertised a job that worked around my school schedule, and it was working with preschool children with autism through Valley Mental Health. And I thought, that'd be great just kind of a fun job to get me through school and I could go back and forth. And it turned out it was my thing. I absolutely loved it. I loved working with these little kids. My very first day I got bit on the leg and I thought, this is great. It can't get any worse. And it's just been better since then. I've worked in the private sector through Valley Mental Health. And I worked also in the public school system through Davis County School District on their autism team. My job was to go out to schools where the teachers were struggling with students on the autism spectrum and offer solutions. And I saw a variety of kids in elementary and junior high classrooms and I had so much fun. And then in 2000, the year 2000, I saw a huge need for a consulting firm on the side. There were long waiting lists for kids through the Valley Mental Health Program and through the Davis County School District, kids just not getting the help they needed because of resources. So I started my own business, which has allowed me to work with kids with autism while raising my own family. That business is called Autism Links, and I've seen hundreds of amazing kids on the spectrum all the way from Logan to uh, Spanish Fork and have potty trained probably 300 plus kids. My One of my current clients right now actually heard that I was the potty training guru and that's why she called me and I've been with them for a couple years. It's been great. Um, I've seen so many kids on a variety of skill levels the cool thing right now is I've seen some of my preschoolers that I started with in 1995 are now in their 20s, and it's really great to see their progress and see a couple kids that would yell at the wind because he was so frustrated with the wind or just cry because she was so sad that she couldn't communicate to doing amazing things now. It has allowed me to give hope to some parents that are in the, the preschool stages now and say it'll be okay because I've seen it. When I start working with a parent who is concerned about their child with autism, they're usually calling me because a friend referred them or they found my name on the internet as a resource or they're just overall concerned that maybe things aren't going quite right with their child. They're not hitting milestones like they heard they should or like a sibling did or a cousin. And the first thing I tell them is, good job. 
for noticing something might be up. Uh, a lot of parents think that a diagnosis for their child could be a death sentence and that the rest of their life is going to be horribly challenging and full of heartache and sadness. And that's not the case. If you get help when your child is younger, then the child has a lot more chance for success. Learning those skills that they're not just naturally learning because they're hitting the milestones as they should. So it's not scary. It doesn't have to be as long as you reach out and get the support that you need. Some parents don't want to hear that their child might have some issues. So if a teacher or a neighbor or someone that is in contact with your child says, you know, I think there might be something going on because I'm noticing they're doing this in class or they shy away from peers during playtime, then don't be offended, but continue. Ask more questions, seek help, and get the support that you need as a family because autism affects the whole family. If you're a parent and you're watching your child play and you're noticing that your child is just playing with parts of a toy, like the wheels of a car, or spinning certain parts that spin on the car but not on the toy, but don't necessarily have a social game or a storyline involved with the toy, then that could be an indicator that there is something that your child is not doing that they should. If you are noticing that your child has specific routines in their schedule and get really upset when routines are broken, or if you're noticing that eye contact is really uncomfortable for your child, or if they prefer to play 10 feet away from the group of children at a birthday party or a family event, or if you're at the point where you don't even take your child to a family event because you know there will be a tantrum because of the extra loud noises or the overstimulation of lots of things going on, then it could be a red flag that your child could be on the autism spectrum. If you are noticing your child isn't hitting language milestones like they should, um, looking up on any kind of developmental checklist will tell you how old typical children start babbling or start saying their first word or putting two words together. If you're noticing your child isn't doing that, then that could be a red flag. If you are noticing that your child has a really hard time playing with other kids, doesn't look at other kids in the eyes, doesn't get social satisfaction from being with other children, would prefer to play alone, then that could be a red flag. If you're a parent and you have a gut feeling that something is not right with your child, ask questions. Start with your pediatrician. Tell them that you feel like your child isn't hitting the milestones that they should. If your pediatrician says, let's just watch and see for six months, and that doesn't feel right to you, then ask more questions. Either get a second opinion from another pediatrician who can refer you to a psychologist or a neuropsychologist for a diagnosis, or call your school district. School districts offer early, early intervention programs that can address issues in kids as young as 18 months. 
It's not a lot of service in most cases, but it's a good starting point and it's a good place to start the ball rolling on getting your child some support and help that you need. But don't ever take an answer from a professional that social skills is another area where it's obvious that your child might have something going on if they prefer to play alone or if they don't seem to get natural fulfillment from a friend or even a parent. They could see people around them as tools to get their needs met and their wants fulfilled versus a hug to help them calm down or just needing the touch of a parent to feel secure or a friend to play with. Those all are natural social skills that kids develop as they age. And if your child is not doing those things, then it might be time to reach out and pursue some support. There's also an area of um, behaviors is the third probably big area next to language and social skills that a parent will recognize a red flag. Frequent tantrums because of frustration, because of lack of communication skills, or being able to understand that they want something different than it is, but not being able to get that. If um, sights and sounds and even smells can be overstimulating for certain children. If they walk into a room and all the lights are on, you might see a tantrum or a meltdown, but you have no idea that it's because the lights are on. It can be very frustrating as a parent and as the child to be going through those um, situations and not being able to fix them because you don't understand why. A lot of times to explain autism, I use an analogy of um, you and I or anybody visiting a foreign country not understanding the language but or the customs of that that foreign country but waking up one morning and a bell tower chimes an alarm and everyone stands on their head for example you have no idea what's going on an intercom comes over in a foreign language to explain what's going on but you don't understand the language you don't understand the social reasons things are happening what would you do I would probably tantrum on the floor, maybe cry, scream, run away, or just have a big meltdown, which are a lot of behaviors that we see in kids with autism. The big areas that are affected are language and social skills, not understanding why things are socially appropriate or not appropriate, and not understanding the words used to get your feelings across or your more than wants and needs met or even basic wants and needs met. It can be very frustrating if we pay attention and realize how frustrated a lot of these kids are. We can have a different level of patience, take a step back and realize that we need to help them in a different way than just putting them in a timeout or whatever kind of discipline, taking a toy away. That might not always be the best answer, but give them the skills that 
they are lacking to get their wants and needs met and fulfill those social things that maybe they're starting to develop as they get older if they haven't ever had them. One thing to remember is that autism is a developmental delay. So just because they're not doing it at the typical milestone markers that different checklists and your pediatrician is telling you doesn't mean that they won't ever do it. It just means we have to teach them how to do it. A typical child will naturally learn how to imitate an adult or naturally learn how to point to items or naturally learn some gross motor or fine motor things. <clears throat> a child on the autism spectrum might not naturally do those things, but they can be taught. Their brain is just wired differently and it, it doesn't mean they're broken. It doesn't mean that they won't ever do those things. It just means that they need a different, they just learn differently. They don't learn through imitation because it is a social thing and it can be really scary. So using electronics to teach those types of things could be helpful because it takes out that social aspect and it puts the kids in a more comfortable situation to learn. Potty training can be a very overwhelming task for even a typical child. Everyone regrets that stage where you have to dive into potty training. But an awesome method is to ditch the diapers completely and just go straight to underwear. This takes out a level of confusion a lot of kids can't decide, okay, I'm in a diaper now, but I wasn't before. So just going cold turkey and underwear is the best approach. And then depending on your child's age, you start a typical toileting schedule. You wake up in the morning and naturally sit on the toilet, put underwear on. Whether they go or not, you're not going to make a big deal. If they go, they, you know, get a, a small treat. You, at the beginning of the program, you do need to have three sizes of treats available. A small one, a medium one, and a big one. I love M&Ms because they come in all sizes. And the mini M&Ms, even if they get 15 in a day, it's not sugar overload. Any treat can be broken down into equal, equally small pieces, but just make sure it's not something that they rely on every day for reinforcement in another way because you don't want to give that treat to them at any other time except for potty training. You pick a schedule. Typically, if you're potty training a, a three-year-old, you're gonna start on a 15-minute schedule. You'd set a timer, so make sure you have an extra adult handy to help because you're gonna be setting this timer every 15 minutes. The first 15 minutes they sit on the toilet and you verbally praise or reward for whatever behavior you see. If they go, they get a, a little treat. If they are just dry, they get verbal praise. The first time the timer goes off, they only check their pants. They don't have to go sit, but they check and fill their pants. And if they're dry, they get that little treat again. Because part of potty training is not just going every time you sit on the toilet, which is a common misconception. It's being able to stay dry for periods of time as well. You set the timer again for the next 15 minutes and they alternate and they sit on the toilet that, that, that next time. And it continues throughout the day. 15 minutes just check, 15 minutes dry, 
and rewarding as appropriate. The small treat is for staying dry or going. The medium treat is whatever you see as a parent is the next step. Is it your child telling you they need to go? Is it your child going in on their own? It's just that medium, that medium expectation that you have since every child is so different. And then that big treat is for the big. Are they completely independent? Are they going when they should? If they come to you and say, oh, we're getting in the car or naturally go before they get in the car, which is another naturally toileting time. Whatever you see as the small, medium, and large behavior is how you reward appropriately. If they have two dry days on that 15-minute schedule in a row, two consecutive dry days, then you bump it up to 30 minutes. Do the same thing. So you'd be on day three now with 30 minutes. Two dry days in a row, bump it up to 45 minutes. And then determine what a natural toileting time is for your, the age of your child. If it's every hour and a half, that's where you're going to stop. Once you get to that point, they're considered trained. Even if they wear a pull-up or a diaper at night, that could be a while after. Maybe that's the big treat if they can stay dry all night. It just kind of depends on your family schedule and your lifestyle, whatever. You look at them and say, yes, you're potty trained, then you're good. But the key is to reinforce them for being dry as well as going because a lot of kids will just sit on the toilet and try and squeeze out the tiniest bit just to get the treat. But that's not potty training. That's more of a, a, I will do it on command, but that's not what we're going for. Another really common therapy for kids with autism is play therapy. Stanley Greenspan has come up with a really great program called Floor Time and the affect-based language curriculum. It teaches kids more in a natural setting how to communicate. He gives some great tips on how you can turn mealtime and bath time into language facilitating therapy, which is the best time for a child because it's natural. It's, it's going to make more sense learning language in that setting versus learning it at a table in a different setting where they have to transition over into natural settings. It kind of helps with the generalization method and it's fun. Uh, I've learned that grandpas are the best play therapists. If you watch a grandpa play with their grandkid, you can pretty much bank that that is play therapy and it's great for the kids. I, as I'm watching grandpas play with their grandchildren, I'm noticing that they are letting the grandchild lead the play. They are pretending their, their grandkid in a way is making the movie and they're the director of the movie and the, the grandpa is the actor and they need to be told what to do. This is some great language facilitating activity because it's teaching the child to kind of be responsible for their language and their environment and it's fascinating. Also narrating the situation pretending there's maybe a blind person sitting in the room with you or someone who can't see what's going on but can only hear. So if your language is, isn't, is descriptive enough that you are painting a beautiful picture of what's going on in the mind of the child or anyone in the room, then you know you're facilitating language in a way that is incredibly beneficial for a child on the spectrum. As you are playing with the child, you 
can say, oh, I have a red ball and I'm going to lift it up way over my head and I'm going to throw it across the room. Oh my goodness, it bounced against the wall and now it's coming right back to me. I'm going to pick up the ball again and I'm going to throw it again. And the child is playing right next to you and they're getting involved in this play because you're making the play more fun with you than without you. Those are the kind of the key tips to making language a really natural thing that they can acquire and improve during playtime with a parent or a sibling. We hope you're enjoying this presentation. At any time, we invite you to go to gemtrain.org and gain the additional guidance from this presenter that can help you fully grow and flourish as you gain the skills and confidence to help those you love on the autism spectrum. The ultimate play therapist is someone who helps the child feel comfortable in the situation they're in, but sees their potential and helps them fight through the challenges of language delays in a fun, positive way. And taking, looking at where they are on the language ladder, if there is a ladder for language, and helping them climb one rung at a time. If they can say one word at a time, like ball, then you're gonna look at them and say, oh yes, it's a red ball. You're pairing the next step. Or if they say red ball, you say, yes, I'm holding a big red ball. Wherever they are, you're gonna meet them where they're at, they are, and take them to where they need to be. Whenever you're, you're introducing your child to a new situation, you always want them to be in the least restrictive environment. If you are taking your child to preschool and you are fearful that they will just be alone or tantrum, give it a day. Let them go in, see what they can do. They might surprise you. If you are signing them up for a rec league basketball, give them a day. Let the first time, let them go in and just see what they can do. And then offer the support that they need. You want to make sure that you are not creating a negative environment that first day. If it's too overwhelming, I think as a parent, you know, basically some things that will not be good. If your child is terrified of balloons, you are going to make sure that there are no balloons in the environment that they're in because that's an, a fear that you know we don't really need to overcome. You don't have to love balloons, but you can leave it out and your child will still be successful. But at the same time, maybe they've overcome that fear. Trust your, your parent gut. But if you really are concerned and want help, then you reach out to help. You reach out to get the support that, that you need. There's lots of professionals and people out there that have done what you're doing before. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. You, your job is to be the parent. Your job isn't necessarily to be the teacher. Your job is to love your child and to be your child's advocate. Hire someone to be the one that pushes your child and challenges your child so that you can be that mom role or that dad role. You don't have to be everything to your child. 
There's two possible scenarios when you are dealing with a teenager. You can have a teenager who has been diagnosed at a very young age and has been going through therapy forever and has a file four inches thick through the school district or wherever you, you have gotten those services. And teenage years are still gonna throw you for a loop. There's a lot of things that happened to a, a teen, a typical teen that scares the world. But when you add you know, a diagnosis of autism on top of that, it's just magnified and compounded. Continue what you're doing, continue to reach out and get support. The most important thing you want to remember being the parent of a teenager is that your relationship with your child is the most important. It might not matter if your teenager with autism takes chemistry. It might not matter if your teenager with autism hits some milestones that typical kids hit. It's okay that they don't have a job. It's okay that they're not experiencing everything that their friends are doing. But it is important that your child has a safe place to come to. The world for a teenager with autism is even scarier than the world for a typical teen. And you want to be that safe person and that safe place for your child. And again, trust your mom gut and your dad gut. You know what your child needs and you know you're the potential of your child. Get the support and help to challenge your child, especially in the teen years, from outside resources so that you can have that good relationship with your teen. The second scenario is maybe your child was never diagnosed with autism, but you always thought maybe something was going on. There were a few things that you'd read about and you saw in your child, but they did okay in school. They had a friend outside the family. They read on grade reading level and made it through okay and then the teenage years hit and you feel like you've been slammed in the face with you don't know what. The most important place to start in that scenario is emotions. Does your child understand emotions? Does your child understand happy, sad, scared, angry? And does your child realize that it's okay to feel those emotions? but it's not okay to act inappropriately. But again, get outside help. You're not expected to do it alone as a family trying to support a teenager with autism. You need outside resources. The most important thing that you can do for your child is to help them feel validated. Think about all the emotions that they're feeling as a teenager on the spectrum or the teenager that you feel is on the spectrum but didn't receive a, an official diagnosis, the most important thing you can do is be the sounding board that can help your child regulate their feelings. If they can come to you and tell you they don't like certain things that they feel like they should like because their friends like them, or they're scared of certain things, make sure they know that it's okay to feel those emotions. Children on the autism spectrum are very visual learners. 
And if you can set rules, family rules or society rules and explain why those things are socially appropriate or socially inappropriate and have them written out in the form of a list or a tracker or a visual chart that, that shows what the expectations are and why you expect those things, then it's going to make more sense. For example, if you have family chores, but your child with autism is the one that never seems to get their chores done. Siblings are jealous because you end up doing their chores because at some point the chores just need to be done. You can set up a more firm schedule and not change the kids' chores. For example, their chore always is every Monday they need to take the dirty clothes from the bedroom to the laundry room. Every Tuesday, they empty the dishwasher and keep that, those chores the same. They're responsible for the same area of the house to be clean. Their chores don't change. Maybe like your other kids' chores change. And making sure you're communicating with your other kids that your one child was given different challenges and that's just how it is. You know, some kids have brown hair, some kids have blonde hair, some kids have autism, some kids have dyslexia, some kids like the color purple, some kids like the color red. It doesn't mean they're not worthy of anything less than they want or less than society has set up for them. I always encourage parents to give their kids on with autism the typical social experiences that any kid would have. As a parent, to help your child have typical social experiences, you might need to reach out to neighbors who have children your child's age. Give them some guidelines and some direction on autism. Don't be scared to tell neighbors and peers of your child the difficulties that autism presents, the challenges, the social uncomfortableness that comes along with the diagnosis. It's amazing how peers can step up and really shine and help your child have those typical experiences when they know something is going on. On the flip side, if you're scared to tell neighbors or peers that your child has autism, then there's a lack of understanding and peers will just look at your child as different, as the kid who won't look at me, as the kid who covers his ears, as the kid who gets pulled out during class, as the kid who screams inappropriately, as the kid who flaps their hands, or as the kid who walks on their toes. It's amazing how much education can increase patience in the community. The area of religion can be very scary for kids with autism. Religion is very abstract, and since kids on the autism spectrum are very literal learners, visual learners, and thinkers, they're not going to grasp 
religion the same as typical kids. So to give your child a typical experience in religion, send them to the activities or the events that your, their friends are going to or that their siblings are going to. If they need extra support, get an advocate to go with them. If your child is in a situation where they need support to begin a social conversation with someone at, any, at an event, you can type out what they should say beforehand and give them a script. You can prepare people at the event ahead of time and say, okay, this is what's going to happen. Can you help me out? Can you be a, a play? Can you be in my play? I'm going to type out a script and your character number two. They're going to just more, the more education and the more direction siblings and other teachers and parents of siblings or parents of peers have, the better the experience for your child will be. A lot of kids on the autism spectrum have a hard time understanding emotions. And since religion is so deeply tied to emotions and feelings, if you're wanting to pursue religious education for your child, ask them what they think, ask them facts about a story or ask them what they think about uh, an event in a religious story versus how they feel about that event. You will get a lot further because you can tell a child a story and say, so what did you think that person learned in that situation? What do you think this religious figure was trying to teach other people? Ask them thinking questions instead of feeling questions. And a lot of times, naturally, some of those feeling questions will come as they get older. But the important thing is to have no expectations. Don't have a, a, a plan as a parent that you want your child to attain a certain thing by a certain time. Because every child is different and they'll get it when they're ready. And that doesn't mean you're a bad parent. That doesn't mean that you aren't doing the right things. That doesn't mean that your child is broken. It just means you have to try a different way and have the challenge of figuring out what the solution is to a novel behavior that you've never seen before or being creative and saying, this will work and always trying new things but realizing that it's the child that's the most important thing and not the disability. The disability doesn't matter. It's just a, a term. It's just a label. Your child is still your child and you can help your child learn anything. If you're viewing this course, it's always important to remember that none of what is covered today is meant to treat or diagnose or cure autism. They're simply recommendations based on things that I've seen work in other kids. Every kid is different. Your kid is extra special and you need to pay close attention to your mom and dad gut and follow through with the professional opinions and recommendations of people that know your child specifically. I have really grown to love 
kids on the autism spectrum. I've really grown to love the families that surround these kids. There is a special place in my heart for siblings of kids with autism. And I wish the world could be a safe place for kids with autism. I wish the world could understand and have more education on what they can do when they see a child in public struggle. You can't look at a child with autism from 10 feet away and know they have autism. You, there are several disabilities that you can. You can tell, you know, a child that has um, Down syndrome from looking at them. But autism is different. Autism affects the brain and social skills in a way that you can't really see unless you are around them a little bit more. If everyone knew that, there would be a lot less judgment in public when you see a child struggling. The best learning environment for a child with autism is natural settings. If they could walk into a grocery store and everyone in that store knew that they were coming and knew that they needed extra help finding five apples or knew that they might have a meltdown because there's only four apples when they needed five. If everyone knew that, then kids on the spectrum would grow so much more in just natural setting. I think kids on the autism spectrum are the best. They are honest with you more than any other kid. They will love you or hate you if you are making them do something they don't want to do, but they're genuine. You will know how they're feeling based on their behavior. And I think that makes it so amazing to me. They like things put in a certain way. You know, if you give them a Lego set, they want it built and stayed put together, not in pieces on the floor. Maybe that's why I am drawn to kids with autism because I like things put together and, and everything in its place. And the more we can understand that and the more education, then the happier I think the world will be because we can help them. <laughs> For all you parents out there who are lucky enough to have these special kids in your life, hang in there. Find someone who will support you. You might feel like you're in a big, deep, dark hole. You need to find the advocate that will jump in that hole with you and not just stand on the outside of it and say, we're keeping things going up here for you until you climb out of your hole. You need a friend and an advocate that understands where you are and that will jump in and help you. If you're frustrated because you're spending so much time with your child with autism that your house is messy, you need that friend that will come and clean it for you. It will get better. Your child will learn the things that they need to learn and they can reach their potential on earth and they can reach the potential that was set for them and you'll be okay, but make sure you take care of yourself. Find out what you can do to relieve your, your stress. Find out what it is that you need to do to be the best 
for your child at all times. It will get better and you can do it. We hope you have enjoyed this presentation. We now invite you to go to gemtrain.org and gain the additional guidance from this presenter that can help you fully grow and flourish as you gain the skills and confidence to help those you love on the autism spectrum.